Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your uh, life coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program to give you a leg up in this thing we call life. You know, an owner's manual for the human being. That's what this show's about. This show is a toolbox for life. We're giving you the tools you need to make it through life because nobody just says, okay, now that you're born, here's what you've got. You know, you have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You've got these problems. You're going to deal with this. So instead, what we do on this show, we give you the tools you need to make it through life. We could, if we could be like other shows that just have a bunch of broken people call in and ask for help. But no, no, we instead want to give you tools. Then that way we don't have to talk to all you broken people. <laughs> no, everyone's, everyone's a little broken is I guess the point. Hmm. Skyboy, for example. Um, how you doing? Doing great. You were here early. I was here early. I was here early. You were here super early. Super early. Super early. And Why was that? Well, I just wanted to see you and see how you're doing. Really? That's Ish. why you came in? Ish? <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, but I came in. I did come in looking for people. <laughs> no one was here. Were <laughs> no they? one was here. <laughs> no one was here. So I was here really, apparently early, but I really wasn't. Um, so, Sky, do you remember what happened when I came in? Um, no. I came in. I said, what you doing? And you said, I've got a really big test. Oh, yes, yes. I've Sky, got a big test. Sky is, um, Sky's in eighth grade, and he's he's trying. He's got a big Almost test Almost high today. school. Almost next high school. Year. Yeah, next year you'll be in high school. And you, um, and you said, I've got a, you've got a big test. I right? do. And what did I say? You said, ask me a question. Let me help. Let me, ask me any question on your test, and I will help you. Yes. And then you looked, and you asked me a question. Yes. And then I answered it. Yeah. And you said, do you remember? I said, Pierre Gint Sweet. Uh-huh. And you said? Holy cow. Holy cow. How did you know? Uh-huh. That's what I said. And I said, well, it was just obvious. And then you said? What was the form? What was the form? And I said seven. And you were right again. Form units. Yeah. Well, and, I'm just like so lost right now. Not well, I'm lie. sure everybody listening <laughs> is lost. But here's the deal. And we actually carried that on. And, and he says, thank you. That was very helpful or something like that. And I said. Oh, I asked you, you to take the test for me. You want me to take the test for you? And I said, no, that would be unethical. Yeah. But anytime you want to ask me a question about your test, I will answer it and give you the answer. Yeah. Okay. So if you could just have your phone on you tomorrow around yeah. 10 o'clock. But here's the deal. I didn't answer the questions right. I was actually wrong. So wait, that whole thing was a lie? No. That whole thing was a story. And we kept it alive. So fiction. Yeah, could be. Or lies. It could be. It's Are not you just using storytelling as an happen. excuse to lie, man? No, but see, everybody tells stories. And see, we kept it alive. And I think Sky kept it alive because he didn't want to tell me I was wrong. Yeah, I didn't want to make Matt feel bad. Because so, he's like a doctor and stuff. Yeah. And he's always so, got to be right. The, the, it was a music question from your music major. And I was like, no. I mean, so, but I guessed it, but I was totally wrong. But then he acted like I wasn't wrong. Which made me fit, you know, feel for a second. I must have nailed that one. <laughs> okay. Because the question, I don't, I don't even remember what it was, but I, you know, what else would you answer but Pierre Gint Sweet? See, I'm a super exaggerator. I just, if my, I had a friend disappear once for a couple of hours. You know, hours or seconds? 
No, she actually she was she was gone for like okay. If I go was back it a to friend the story, or really, was it just somebody you once saw? So this was an imaginary. It doesn't even exist, person. But she disappeared for a couple hours, and she left her phone and her laptop at my house. Was it really a phone and a laptop, or was it? Just... It was her cat and her child. Oh my word! Yeah, yeah you under exaggerated that one. Yeah, you're soft serving <laughs> right there. Okay. No, but it was terrifying. She left and um, said she was going home for five minutes. Like mm. Two hours later, she's Liar. still gone. Yeah, and that's so I, my that's so, my least favorite exaggeration. Well, see, I I text yeah. her roommates. No one's seen her, and she's. I know how attached she is to her personal belongings, like and her cat, and her like baby. her cat and her baby, and they're still at my house. <laughs> Are they still there? <laughs> yeah, I think after Actually, so many days, you we can just put them in the closet because it was just it was auction them off in the way. Have you seen all those um, sell a baby eBay? And a cat? You can, that, that's we what could do eBay like a was bundle for. package. I don't think you sell the cat. Like you could baby hundred bucks, cat four hundred bucks. <laughs> Get them together, four fifty. <laughs> but the show is about storytelling because people tell stories, and we tell stories for a myriad of reasons. Sky tried to save, help me save face by pretending like I was really accurate. Now, what if we kept going with that? And what if every time I came back? I kept answering your questions for you, but they were all wrong. Then eventually, I would have this delusion going on, but it would be your fault. Or it could be your fault for lying in the first place and not admitting that you don't know. Not lying. Okay. What, what is it? I uh, wasn't lying. You asked the question, and I gave you my best your answer. Your best answer. Okay. Now, but it was a mutually shared story. And then we, and, but it was kind of based in lies and non-truths. So if you tell yourself something enough times, you're saying you'll believe. It. I have people that tell me their marriages are fine, and well, they're not. So so wait, they they're go, not fine. They go to marriage therapist. Yeah, with, yeah. Is that, Oh, and lie all the and time. They, and they say marriage is fine. Yeah, that's why you're here because the marriage is fine. That, I've had that people makes say sense, I didn't actually. even think our marriage was that bad. <laughs> I didn't until until I found out he had had seven affairs. Oh, there's your sign. There's your sign right there. Oh, my goodness. But like there had to have been other signs. But the story we tell is fine. Hey, you're you're sick. Let's say you're really sick. You want to die and go to the hospital. Hypothetically. Yeah. And someone says, how you doing? And you're like, fine. Well, because when someone asks you how you're doing, like they don't actually want to know how you're doing. Well, they do if you're dying. I don't, I don't know. I think that. Well, I, I'm pretty you don't sure. know my friends. No, but if you <laughs> drop dead right in your friend's, you know, party, you know, you'd ruin the party. That's, that is. That would ruin. Kind of kill a... the mood. And I mean, I'm not even that good at parties, but I know that that is a major faux pas. Do not die. drop dead in a party. So storytelling, everybody does it. Yeah, but okay, what's the goal? What is the goal? Okay, are we trying to convey information sometimes. or are we trying to entertain? Sometimes. And sometimes we're trying to avoid information. Yes. Like something will break at my house with a shatter and I'll walk in and everybody will sit there and look at me like, what? What, dad? What? And I said, what happens? What What just happened there, you guys? And everyone's like, I don't know. I was weird. Like one person's bleeding. <laughs> there was weird. I, I don't know. I saw, I felt a gust of wind and they're all just sitting there and they're lying. So you know what you do? This is how you check a story. This is a great way to check the story. You go put your ear next to their mouth and whoever's breathing the heaviest <laughs> is the guilty one. It also works if you just want to put your hand on their hood and check their car. What if they just hold their breath? Well, you stay there for at least two minutes. <laughs> okay. 
I'm making the so rules let, up. Unless as I your go. child is like a deep diver, you know, free yeah. diver. <laughs> unless he's a probably... deep diver like unless you do. Unless your kid's a fish <laughs> and actually breathes water. Storytelling. Everybody does it. But see, here, this is important because whatever you, story you tell is going to actually set up your future. So why did you fail that class? Well, because the teacher was a loser. Could be accurate. The, could be accurate. By the way, might even have a tiny bit of data of accuracy in it. However, you also didn't study. It was an early morning class, so you slept through it every day. And um, you don't like Greek uh, mythology. Yeah. Oh, but the teacher's an idiot. Also, I asked Matt for the answers for the test. You did. And he didn't give me the right answers. No, hold but on. I, I thought he was right. So uh, I used them on my test. And you failed. And I failed. It's See, like now you're blaming you... me, even though, yeah, even so, though I'm not even in your class. When people blame all their problems on the fact that they're single, it's very similar. Singles all do that all the time. Like... By the way, so do marrieds. Why, why is the marriage so bad? Well, it's just my wife. Oh, because not me. Not me. Because not me. Problems out there. See, there's a lot Her, of things. him, and that. But you want to bet that in your life, you're always going to have problems. Always. And if we're always going to have problems, guess what? You better tell healthy stories or you're in trouble. If you don't tell healthy stories for why your life is messed up, guess what? Your life will always remain messed up, which is why Sky Boy has been here for 44 years. <laughs> but he looks like he's 12. And he's in eighth grade. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long you've really been here, Sky. How long you been here? Uh, just... A year and a half, year? Yeah, it felt like 44, year. though, didn't it? A year and a half. Yeah, it's felt yeah. like, well, yeah, yeah. with your show. T today oh, I put together. We slow down time. Today I put together my resume, and I had to put down, worked at BYU Broadcasting since 2008. Wow. I was like, dang. Yeah, that's really cool, though. Let's get a story for you, because your story could be uh, senior executive assistant producer to the executive senior producer. Oh, no. Actually, actually, if we're, okay. Because, by the way, a resume is nothing yes. more than a, a story because, uh, in short form. So, so I got to ask one of the professors that I work with. He's, he's the dean, and I asked him. Dean, what's his last name? Ogles. Dean Ogles? Dean Ogles. Is Dean his first name, or is that his title? Uh, that is his title. Okay. Uh, he, I, was, I asked him, hey, could I, uh, could I write down research, senior research assistant to the dean? Ooh, on my resume, what do you say? technically accurate. Yeah, but he hasn't responded yet, so I still put it on my resume. <laughs> I would say, I would say, just because again, because I, I am the research assistant. Yeah, you've been there the longest. Well, and you're a senior in college, and I'm a senior in college. I would say, I would actually say, special specialist, senior special assistant, and senior researcher. Because you are special, and then and then parentheses, and you are a practically assistant. practically a professor, uh -huh. yeah. tenured, yeah, yeah, almost tenured, practically. Practically, I mean, I have been going here for almost seven See, years. See, you're getting the, you're getting the spirit of storytelling. Yes, but you're missing part of it. <laughs> One of the keys is you want your stories to be fairly accurate, especially the stories you tell yourself and that you keep using in life a lot. Right? You need the story. I don't know. What if the story is boring? Sometimes they are, but that just means your life is boring. Hey! But if you make up a bigger a story, thing. it's not going to go. It's not going to go anywhere. So on the show today, we're talking stories and storytelling. We've got a wonderful expert that's going to come in and be sharing uh, their insight with us. We also are going to. Um, we're going to have Bryce going to do a little bit of a, a little. Is it a rant? Is it a, further down in the show? Right? Yeah. He's going to do a, a semi rant. It's a complaint. 
It's a complaint. It's a complaint. But then we've got a wonderful guest coming in uh, in a few minutes named Sam Payne. Now, you may have heard of Sam. Sam is the new host to a BYU radio program called The Appleseed, Tellers and Stories. It's a brand new show that's coming on, and uh, we're going to spend some time with him. He's going to, I think, tell us some stories and talk about his show, The Importance of Storytelling, not even just kind of for culture, for humanity. That's a lot of what Sam's going to talk about, but also for ourselves and our own psyche. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Sam Payne from the Appleseed Tellers and Stories right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about storytelling of all different types, right? Storytelling, I mean, you know, it used to be our... our uh, the uh, leaders of the tribe would sit in a circle and share their stories, and, and then it got to just, you know, you can imagine how getting through a war would be coming back after the war and sharing your stories of heroism and and just the funny things. Also, storytelling can even get into how you manage your own story about your life and are you healthy. So we're going to be talking about all of these different types of storytelling. But before we move on, we've got to uh, welcome Sam Payne. Uh, to our program. Sam is a brand new host here at BYU Radio of a show called The Appleseed, Tellers and Stories. It's a daily radio show on the art of storytelling. Now, Sam is a performer, critically acclaimed, original, uh, he tells original stories and jazz-inflected folk music. Is that what you do, Sam? Yeah, that's uh, that's what I do. So you kind of add the story and the music, and then you... I bet you do a jig. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. There is some jigging going on. Yeah, I, you know, that it started for with me being a songwriter. Well, did it really? And then, well, I mean, that's storytelling, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it for it, some. Yeah, it became so. Yeah. It, it, in fact, in my case, it just what wound up happening is that the audience just needed a little help into the songs that were kind of dense. You know? Oh, interesting. So, <laughs> so you'd have to give them a little bridge in. This is how you get in right. my song. Yeah, that's right. And 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 that became some of the. You know, those stories, that patter between yeah. songs became part of what the audience came to the shows to but see. You, so you that, started yeah. at uh, a really well-known um, storytelling, folklore-ish, what do they call them? Storytelling, what do they call them? Um, festival. Festival. I was like, I'm, thinking, festival. I'm thinking festival. I'm thinking party. No. Uh, <laughs> but it's called the Timpanogos Festival, and Weber also has another one, Storytelling Festival. Weber has festival. a Storytelling Festival as well. So yeah. this is where a bunch of people gather together, people watch, and they tell their stories, and the stories are funny. It is such an amazing phenomenon. Yeah. These, these Storytelling Festivals are just treasures. Yeah. You know, they bring in national tellers from mm-hmm. all over the country and sometimes all over the world and they put them in big tents and they put a thousand people in front of them. And, and how long is it like, a, what does the story last? I mean, how long does that last? It depends. You know, there are some stories that last just five or ten minutes and some stories that last an entire hour. And it's just really? an, it's, un, it's an unforgettable experience. It's just a, a real treasure. So you've worked there and then you say, hey, we've got to do a radio show about this. So you <laughs> say, let's do a radio show. And now it's on every day Every day. Monday through Friday. That's right. Two o'clock Eastern time. That's right. Yep, right here on BYU Radio. Okay, so what do we hear? So you you get on, how long's the show? Show's an hour an long. An hour long. Yeah. So how many stories is that? Well, it depends, but it's a it's you, you, you might hear four or five tellers in, in our hour together. How cool. You might hear an interview with a storytelling 
phenomenon. Yeah. We had uh, we did an interview just this morning with the great uh, storyteller from Japan named Motoko. Really? Who's, uh, yeah, just who who tells these ghost stories that'll just curl your hair. It was just, <laughs> really? Yeah, it was just really fun. See, that's what's so great about. I mean, think of all of the scout trips where you were scared to death by a storyteller, <laughs> or yeah, um, the the snipe hunting right. when you go scouting. <laughs> that's right. Or there's always the Loch Ness monster story. I mean, these stories are. It's just a part of our existence, right? It's a part of our yep, culture. That's right. And there's a real renaissance right now going on is where there? where there is enough interest in these stories, folk tales and personal tales and tall tales, that there's a market for it. And yeah. there are storytellers really for the first time in a long time being able to make a living traveling around and it's telling It's really like being stories. it's an entertainer, yeah, really. Yeah, you bet. Our, our interview this morning, Motoko, that I was telling you about, she made the comment, she said, you know, in Japan... I couldn't do this. In Japan, I would be – the people who do what I do are mothers telling stories in libraries and things like really? that. There's no, there's no there's chance no, that I'd have to, yeah. to tell in front of a thousand people. You know, well, and how fascinating because that really is how you would hand your culture down historically, yeah. right? Yeah. The uh, the older in the tribe would hand them down to the youngins, and the youngins would keep those stories. That's alive. right. You know, as you introduced this segment, you gave the whole history of the world storytelling in is that 30 all seconds. It is? In a it circle, was, too. They always sat in a circle and a drum. There had to have been a drum. There, there. had to have been a drum. <laughs> so, you, do you have a drum on your show, Sam? There is no drum on the apple seed, <laughs> Darn unfortunately. It. You need a drum. So, you get on there. What's a favorite story you've heard? I mean, do you have one that's just like, and I guess you don't want to, you can't steal someone's story, but do you have no, one of your no. own that you love to. You, you know, I ask, I, I've asked many of our tellers what their favorite work of their own yeah. is. And, and it's tough for them to dig around and find one of their own. It's easier for them to say, here's one that my audience has warmed to. And that, that might be the case yeah. with me, too. I find myself telling stories about, about my family. It very much yeah. is passing down the heritage of where I'm from. And right. kind of, you know, a storyteller can kind of get to considering himself the chronicler of mm -hmm. the adventures of his people, yeah. you know, as you, as you suggest. Uh, but yeah, we've, we, we've had, we, we wondered if there would be enough material for a daily hour long storytelling show. That's a lot of but material. But good heavens, we're just digging ourselves out from under this yeah. pile of wonderful material. From you know what we world. like to do on our show? Cause we used to worry about having enough content. Sure. But yeah. we just realized we just tell stories too. Right. <laughs> Actually, when we don't have one to tell, we make one up. Yeah, yeah. Just yep. usually about Skyboy. I I can imagine. But you can see why, right? Because <laughs> he's dressed up in that cape. Yeah. Um. Everyone thinks he wears a cape to work. <laughs> it's just something we do. Um. Do you sit there like? Have you ever? It seems like stories are kind of personal, where you might love someone, and but then have you ever had a? I guess we shouldn't say. Have you ever had a guess where you thought? Hmm. I'm not liking this one. <laughs> this story's not quite going where I wanted it to go. Have you ever just felt? I guess you can't say. Well, you, I'll say it for I, you. I, I could. I can confidently answer no. We've really Good. had great, you've, great people in the chair. It's you must really have been producers wonderful. like vetting everything That's, you say. <laughs> that would be great. But you know, we have asked some of the people that we've had in our interview chair. Yeah. One of the questions I like to ask is, you know, with 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 the preponderance of personal storytelling and family storytelling, what care do you have to exercise mm -hmm. 
with the stories of your family and your people that you share with us. No, that's huge. What are they? Because yeah. like I, my wife gets mad when I share our stories. <laughs> right. Like and whatever. Yeah, we had Bill Lepp in the chair uh, the other day, who's a tremendous tall tale teller and he said you you just got to know that in in my family they know i'm lying yeah, right yeah, yeah. Our, my family's full of liars yeah, and so you know they're fine <laughs> we had a teller in the other day who who spends a lot of time working with uh with prisoners in prisons and she said you know i think about that question a lot when i work with the people with yeah. whom i work she said my my rule is i never tell a story that i wouldn't tell them to their face and i never tell a story that would hurt anybody that's a great. That is a great. By the way, that's just a great rule for everyone. Sure. Yeah. Don't be so be so loyal that you'll never tell a story you wouldn't say in front of them. That's right. Yeah. Or to a bunch of felons. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That's that really is a very good rule. Do you notice in your as you work with these storytellers, are there what do you think it is? What makes a good storyteller? By the way, I had I had a client and they brought a son in today mm-hmm. because he's lying. The son is lying. The son's a liar. And he actually was lying. But um, but part of it is, and then we brand him a liar, right? So the parents are like, you're a liar. And he comes, and I asked him, what's going on? He goes, I'm a liar. And um, But we, we're not calling these people liars. We're calling them storytellers. Yeah. But sometimes, yeah. when like when he's telling the, uh, you know, when he's going, maybe trying to be more humorous, a little bit sure. of a, you know, you have to exaggerate. Yeah. What makes a great storyteller? You know, we ask that question of just about everybody we come across, and there are a thousand answers to that question. And for me, right now, the answer that's kind of sitting with me is, I like in a story to be taken to someplace unfamiliar, but at the same time that I recognize elements of myself and my home in. Oh, that's cool. And so this notion of being taken to someplace fantastic, Mm -hmm. but at the same time seeing yourself there and recognizing yourself there, that for me, those are some of the elements that I'm looking for. Story sure. is that I see myself in what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I guess you have to have a good memory to tell stories too, because yeah. I remember a lot of stories. Like at our high school reunion, I'd remember a lot of stories. I don't know if they were accurate. Yeah, but I made them feel accurate. <laughs> but is me- I guess memory's got to be there, and then maybe too you kind of nuance it. They've done it so sure. many times, huh? Well, yes, and I'll tell you in the kind of storytelling you're talking about, we all sort of manicure our yeah. memories. You yeah, know? yeah. And one of the great fun things of life is getting together with people who shared an experience with you yeah. and comparing notes yeah. <laughs> and being reminded that there were elements of such and such a story right. or such and such an experience that you've just groomed right out of your head. I love it. Um, we had a friend that passed away when I was 21. I was probably 22. A 21 year old friend died, just dropped dead of a heart attack. Hmm. And, you know, how do you, what do you say? What do you say to his parents? Like, yeah. whoa, sorry, that was bad. But what they had us do is they had us gather at the funeral home during the, during the viewing or the funeral or the, yeah, the viewing. And we all sat in the back room with a recorder and we all taped the stories of his life. And we just all shared all these memories. Huh. And it was the most healing thing I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, you know, I, we loved it. Yeah, you know, as you're talking about that, I'm reminded of there was a little boy uh, down the street in a neighborhood that I used to live in that died. And I went and visited the family later in the evening. It was very, very fresh. I mean, mm. it had just happened. But, yeah. But 
not so fresh that they hadn't that that sort of first burst of grief had passed right. and when i came upon the family they were sitting in the living room telling stories about their son Isn't and it, it was one of the most remarkable evenings i've ever passed yeah. to, and and there was laughter and there were tears and there was love and it was it's, just a great thing that's the 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 power of the story is the the ability to heal around the lesson he, yeah. to have a healing around the I mean, and, and it brings everyone together, and it almost and right. it puts us all on the same page again. That's right. It's like the yeah. reset. Yeah, that's right. That that's is a right. cool show. It's it's an incredible. How come opportunity I didn't get? I us. wanted a show like that. <laughs> we'll have you on. I want to be. I'll, I've got a ton of good stories. I want to be on the show, but I I thought. Yeah, I, you got a good show. Yeah, it's a it's a great opportunity for us. This was the brainchild, partly of the folks at the Timpanoga Storytelling yeah. Festival. The Ashton Family oh, Foundation I love them. Yep. is partly behind this show and has lent it a great deal of support. And we Maybe. think it's just an opportunity, almost like there doesn't exist anywhere. That is, you know what, I I like your show more than my show. <laughs> I had to do the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> I like their show a lot more than yours. <laughs> Sky, <laughs> I don't like you today. Wow, Sam Payne, that sounds awesome. So um, everybody, go listen to Sam's show, 2 p.m. Eastern time, right here on BYU Radio. Do they replay it? Because that's yeah, one they, they should do. Replay. They replay it at 11 o'clock oh, that's p.m. Perfect. Eastern. And some of them so. are scary. So. Yeah. Some of them are. Watch out. Sam Payne, you the man. Thanks, brother. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank the you. The Appleseed, Tellers and Stories. Check it out on BYU Radio, 2 p.m. Eastern. Replayed again, 11 p.m. Eastern. That's right. Yeah. We're going to take a break. Coming back, talking storytelling. We're going to move a little bit more now into you personally, telling how you handle the stories of your own life and how you might be keeping a few secrets and not growing because of how you tell the stories. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking storytelling today. Storytelling. You know, isn't life just a story? We're just trying to share our stories. I mean, right then, Sky just said, hey, I really, 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 really liked my scuba class last night. That's what he said. I enjoyed it as well. Were you there? I was there. How come time. I didn't hear you say you liked it? I, well, it's because I did. Okay. And it was it was great. We went to the deep pool, oh. and it was warm. Did you have those floaty things on your arm? Uh, no, I had enormous aluminum tanks of air on my back. Well, that seems counterintuitive. <laughs> <laughs> what was that about? Sky? Just mocking your laugh. <laughs> don't don't even worry. Man, we got to get our guest on because Sky is starting to. <laughs> this really, is degrading fast. He's ticking me off. Our guest is Dr. Pamela Rutledge, and she is a pioneer in the field of media psychology. Okay, she's a strategic problem solver for communicating in a networked mobile world. Hello, who doesn't need that? She writes and lectures on the social implications of interactive and social media technologies and consults on a variety of media and technology projects. She's the director of media psychology research at Fielding Graduate University and a professor of leadership and media psychology at the Massachusetts School of Professional Psychology. 
She's been on the New in the New York Times. She's been everywhere. The Huffington Post, Good Morning America, the Toronto Sun, and USA Today. Dr. Rutledge, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I um, uh, this is to me is the storytelling. I mean, because really we're in radio, but then I do a lot of speaking, and then I get to sit in a kind of a counseling role and listen to people all day long tell their stories, but. The stories we tell in our lives, they're critical, right? They're, they're, they're probably more important than any of us pay attention to. Well, absolutely. In fact, we can't communicate without telling a story because a story is how you assign causality. You know, the, the, the guy saying, I really, really, really liked my scuba class. Everybody's going, well, so what? Yeah, duh. But if you say, I went down to the deep end of the pool, then pretty soon but then everybody's like, oh, the pool, they can see it, right? They're yeah. in that story with you. So That's powerful. Stories are how to make sense out of everything. It's it's kind of the stories how you bring the context in, huh? It's how you bring the context and the meaning, but it's also how you connect with people and let their experiences fill in the gaps. And once they've got their pictures in it, you're sharing a story and you're sharing experience. But have you ever had a story, a person telling a story, and they're they're giving you data that you just don't want? They're like giving you too many details. They're giving you. So even sometimes how somebody approaches telling their story can drive you crazy as well. Too oh, much, yeah, too little. Storytellers and bad storytellers. I right. mean, just just because we're all telling a story doesn't mean we're all doing it well. No. Uh, but but there's a story under underlying everything. Hmm. Tell us about um, you say they're critical. I mean, they're, they're essential to critical thinking. So when, when you say that, and so explain to us how stories, uh, you know, help us start to formulate a better process of our thinking. Well, it's because the human brain can tell stories that we're able to project things into the future, possibilities, what will happen if, right? So it's that ability to anticipate what will happen that allows us to, to plan, to make changes, and it's also what allows us to become something that we want to become, that allows us to aspire. So we have to, you know, the expression, we have to, you have to see it to be it. Yeah. That's really true. You have to be able to visualize and picture. You know, it's, it's, it's why cognitive therapy has you imagine yourself doing the things that you want to be doing because the, the brain believes it. And it believes it neurologically. You know, with all this neuroscience research lately, mirror neurons, all that Tell us that that simulation is translated in the brain the same way that real experience is. Huh. So that's why, you know, swinging, practicing your golf swing. I don't know if you're one of those people practicing oh, sure. your golf swing yeah. uh, in your imagination or just even with your arms. It really makes a difference in, in how you perform. Because you, your brain goes through the process. So I guess that's what, I mean, if I'm telling you a story and we make it vivid enough and you can experience it, kind of with me, um, it takes you not just on an intellectual journey, but an emotional journey. Oh, absolutely, because the fact that you've created images in, in a brain means that you're processing information in a completely different place than the sort of logical, linear, hmm. uh, conscious mind. You're, you're touching down into the instinctive, unconscious brain that's triggering all of these emotions. So a story is really kind of, think of it as like broadband, you know, I mean, it's like all this information coming at you that you get to experience at once instead of uh, just a, a small linear track. Oh, I love that. And it's, it, when you think about it, I guess, I mean, you, you even say it's it's kind of a core process or um, 
tool to help us actually start to change our behavior? Change your behavior, teach people, lead people, inspire people. You know, we don't we don't sign up for a fast. We don't sign up, you know, for uh, a return. We sign up for a story about what's going to happen. Mm. Yeah, I mean Martin Luther King. I have a dream, and then he shares this dream. I mean, it's right. it's the it's the visual, isn't it? It's the go down the road with me, and then he brings up the colors of the different parts of the country. I mean, it's really powerful the imagery that and how it actually creates, like you said, inspiration. It's going to be the story. Right. I guess it's really more the engaging the different parts of the brain that are creating the the motivation, the emotion. Right. And it's the emotion that brings people on board. Yeah. It's, the emotion that, it's the emotion that allows you to remember things. I mean, think back when you were in grammar school, and, and the things you will remember are the things where, that were very funny. Or, were, you know, in other words, when oh, yeah. you were engaged, right? You don't remember the math, but you remember the time that, you know, X, Y, Z happened. Right. So if teachers can encapsulate information into stories where they have some emotional engagement. It's a much more powerful teaching mechanism. Yeah. Like, imagine you're walking, I mean, in math class, it would have made such a difference to me. If they could have had me walk through in my mind a bunch of pillars, and each pillar represents a number. I mean, really, that in that visualization would have helped me more than um, me just looking at a bunch of numbers. Right. Or having people, everyone in the class be a different pillar. And, you know, how are we going to get you from, you know, Susan over there to, you Uh know, Bernard? Yeah. Does, um, do you sense, I mean, are are some people just, is this kind of a brain thing, right brain, left brain? Are certain people better at, uh, at doing this? Or is this just kind of an inherent thing? If if I, like, would it be easier for me to motivate a certain type of brain versus like another type of brain? Uh, you know, everyone's, everyone's different, and we all have uh, different uh, strengths in the way we think and different predilections, but you will always motivate someone more by telling a story that engages emotion than any other way. And it doesn't matter whether they're a super logical person or not, because when you gather, get someone engaged emotionally, it actually decreases the cognitive resistance and lets them overcome sort of weak facts, which is why it's so powerful in marketing. When they can tell a story, you quit, you know, you quit looking at the fine print. Yeah. Because you're buying true. something else. Yeah. I mean, if you're buying bleach, the facts are pretty weak. It's bleach. But so they, so they, <laughs> right? So they show a story about a family where they get grass stains and the mom takes the favorite pants and cleans them or whatever. And it's such an emotional visual that uh, it, it overcomes the fact that we're buying bleach. All right. Well, it, yeah, if they do it well, then what they've done is they've created um, an archetype of the caretaker. Hmm. And what parent doesn't want to be that? Yeah, right. And then that warm feeling of the caretaker and the cookies and milk at the end of the... Right, yeah. That's, it's just one of the tools that I need to be a good caretaker because that's the archetype that I aspire to. It really is a source then, the storytelling, your your ability to get into somebody's emotional levels of their brain, it, it really is a major tool of influence is what you're saying. You're, you're going to open up your ability to influence them more. Uh, that's absolutely true. But think about this. Is there any communication that isn't persuasive? Hmm. 
you know, if I talk, I'm presuming that someone's going to respond. Yeah. I'm persuading them, but you know what I mean? And yeah. there's, there's all kinds of persuasion because humans are social animals. So we communicate to connect. So every communication is some form of connection. Right. It's interesting, but well, I mean, it is, even if it's a negative form of connection, like me communicating, <laughs> I hate you, right? <laughs> so if I hate you, I'm going to actually trigger the negative emotional responses in you, which right. is something, I guess, different. Um, I, I really like this idea that um, there's more, I mean, because again, we, we, we just had um, Sam Payne on who has, who has a radio show here on BYU Radio where they have all these storytellers that come in and they just tell these incredible, you know, old folklorish kind of stories that um, are inspiring, but it's this is this is how you build community though right storytelling is how we build cultures it's how we build organizations exactly. it's how we educate right. yeah it's how you have one a shared story is how you create community and in in a business or organization it doesn't matter what size finding out what people think the story is and then bringing everyone together to create a uniform story is very powerful means yeah. of of creating internal harmony and also getting everyone to march in the same direction, which is, of course, really, really nice in the business. Yeah. No, I, in fact, tomorrow I'm going to work with a board of directors that they don't create stories very well together. And their stories well, are about tearing each other apart, and it's a, it's impacting a huge company. Yes, yeah. So, so it will be interesting to see if you can get them to talk about that core story of why why that company is there in the beginning right you know what's their what's their what's their genesis story their story of origin and that that's a critical thing just for all of us is to kind of know the gen our genesis story yes i mean psychologically that's that's probably goes back to everything you're about and i guess that gives you context on everything that happens to you Oh, absolutely. And I think that's partly why little kids love to look at old picture albums and see themselves because they're learning about their story. You know, they're creating that meaning that goes of the narrative that connects them back to the people that they care about. Do you sense uh, do you sense that we as a society are doing a pretty effective job at uh, creating healthy stories? That, that, that are kind of pro-community, pro-unity. Um, it, it seems right now that the stories are pretty divisive, but that's not surprising in a time of when people are afraid. When people are afraid, they look to create um, a group so they feel safe. The way you create a group is defining yourself against someone else. Right. So you see stories get very divisive when they become a means of affiliation. Oh, yeah. No, but like, in fact, you see that with the political parties. You see right. that even in, in race and, and uh, um, race talk and talks about uh, community issues. You see a lot of, uh, you know, kind of sides telling stories, trying to, I guess, compete for the mind share of the, uh, of the audience. Right, and to try and create a connection so that they'll feel the affiliation with that particular group. And so it's just like the body. You know, the body decides what, you know, what to, to attack and what not. The white cells, right? Is, right. You know, me, not me, right? Right. So it's like, 
and and groups do the same thing when they're when they're feeling fearful of a, of attack is that they form very strong borders and a story is a way of of establishing that boundary love it love it okay we're going to take a break we're going to come back with dr pamela rutledge uh, who's who's trying her best to educate us and to help us figure out um, about the power of stories? And I mean, again, who would have thunk that uh, they say they play such a pivotal role in our life? We'll be back with her, and uh, we're going to get in when we come back to the way you can use stories in your leadership roles as a teacher, maybe even as a parent, as a spouse. We'd love to hear about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Just put on our hee-haw music, and if you could see us in the studio... We were rocking it out. We are talking today to Dr. Pamela Rutledge. Uh, she is a pioneer in the field of media psychology and uh, knows what she's talking about. She's the director of Media Psychology Research Center and is an adjunct fa- faculty member at Fielding Graduate University. She's also a professor of leadership and media psychology at the Massachusetts School of Professional Psychology. <laughs> she's published both academically and in popular work including chapters in the recently published Oxford Handbook of Media Psychology and Global Mobile. By the way, Oxford Handbook of anything, you know, that's the big league. So, Dr. Rutledge, thanks for letting us talk to somebody in the big leagues. Oh, well, you're very welcome, at least by the pound, right? It is by the, it is totally by the pound. Huge books that uh, you want to have <laughs> online, you don't want to have to carry it around. Um, exactly. So, Dr. Rutledge, we've been talking about the, the importance, the power of our stories and storytelling. And it's interesting, too, uh, you're a media psychologist. And, I mean, who, I mean, media's designed to perpetuate stories, right? To create, yeah. to generate, to push, and to keep the storytelling alive. Um, just let's just do a little. We did kind of a critique of society in general. What do you think of our media? Like, are we as a media, a form of media, do we do we help create healthier stories for the culture, or do are we just do we just keep perpetuating whatever the PR people tell us to do? <laughs> well, you know, there's there's lots of different kinds of media. So uh, you know, people often think the media meaning mass right. media, but really, you know, it's it's a pretty broad field right now. Um, my particular perspective is that. It isn't, it isn't unidirectional. In other words, there's not a media with an agenda that's, you know... Yeah, so there's not a conspiracy. It. It's just that independent agencies can, might go, you know, do some things versus others. Well, and and you are only exist as long as you have listeners or watchers or whatever, right? That's so true. you are also responsive to the system. And so I think that what we see is a co-evolving... Uh, Organism that re- responds to each other. Mm. So the media is not making stuff up that that people aren't wanting to hear. About, right. But but all media is an amplifier. Yeah. Because of the leverage. It's it, yeah. We just we just regurgitate and and uh, and amplify a story, and you keep listening to us if you like what we're amplifying. Exactly. 
It's a, it's like an ecosystem. Exactly. With a lot of really crazy people. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, it could be worse. I guess I guess it's good for me because I work in it. You have to study it. See, that I think would be hard. <laughs> you have to study the messes we make. But you're talking about stories and the fact that we need to have a genesis and um, kind of understand... You know, what's the fundamental story of why we're, why we're here, what we do? But you also say these stories can help us in our role as a leader, leadership in right. our company, leadership in our community, help us understand how we as leaders, I guess that could even be in our families, but how do we, how do we use leadership or, or our stories to improve our leadership skills? Well, one of the important things of a leader is to give people a vision of where they're going. You know, how many mission statements have you seen? Oh. Like long, long words that mean nothing. But if I always tell people, if your mission statement has all is all words where you can't make a picture out of any of them, it's not a good mission statement. <laughs> right. Right. Because right. there's not there's excellent. Well, that gets what into what that? you said. There's no emotion connected to it. Exactly. So a good leader, a good parent, a good teacher lets the people that she's he she or he is trying to bring along see where they're going. Mm. so that they can be in it together. But a good leader also listens to the stories other people are telling to make sure people are on board or that they, that's how you find out if there's action that you need to take. Yeah. Because the leader's sometimes very isolated, and if you ignore the stories coming up from the bottom, you can make some serious mistakes. I mean, the cool thing now about the environment is that you hear from a lot of different places. So it's much harder for a leader to remain isolated right. from popular opinion. Uh, one of the things that I teach in the leadership psychology class that I do is what it means to be a leader in this age of, of social technology. Mm-hmm. How does, what do you, how do you have to engage? You know, what does that mean? And primarily it means that you, more than ever, you have to be authentic. You know, if you're making something up because it sounds good, you will get busted, no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Because you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people that have cell phones, and half of them are on some chat board anyway, and they're gonna, you're going to hear. You're going you're gonna to hear, well, that's a bunch of malarkey, whatever. Well, absolutely. And organizations' stories get told all the way up and down the the tree. You know, you go to the grocery store, you're talking about your job to the guy behind you, right? That's a culprit story, right? That person now has an impression of your organization based upon what you told them at the grocery store. Yeah. So it's really important that everybody is on board with the story, feels like they are a stakeholder in it, that they contributed to it, right? It's how you bring people together. I mean... You know, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King that you mentioned, John F. Kennedy, brilliant storytellers because they were able to show people a picture. I mean, John Mm -hmm. F. Kennedy, he didn't say we really need to invest in our space program. He said, I'm going to put a man on the moon. Right. Uh, You know, in everybody's brains. Boom, they're up there. Well, and what's amazing is when it's accomplished, very, very easy to understand. Oh, we did it. There it is. There's the man on the moon. Mission accomplished. I mean, it really is. Um, it's a key part of leadership, isn't it? Because it, I think it seems like, and maybe this was the old industrial age, you know, business mentality is that everyone's just a bunch of cogs and you just look, you just do your little job, turn your little thing, fix it, turn it, and then hand it off to the next guy. And we'll just get you in an assembly line and you're all a bunch of cogs. 
But now right. pe- people are free agents now in a way they never have been. They don't have to. They can work at your company. In fact, one of the things I know you hear a ton about is like employee engagement. And mm-hmm. I mean, people don't have to be engaged. I can't remember the number. It's like 70 percent of the global or 65 percent of the global uh, businesses, the people working in global economy, they're not engaged anymore. They're not like totally bought into their company. They, you know, they're, they're still surfing the web. They're still, still looking for jobs. They'll still take a better offer if they've got it. It's just like we, we haven't created the buy-in. And it seems like both telling better stories and listening to the stories of our stakeholders would create this more of this connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's there's a lot of really interesting of the work that can be done. You don't have to always be telling the story of why we're here because sometimes businesses are more in need of a transformation story, how we got from there to here, or what we're going to become next. I mean, so you, you pick the story based upon where you are in your um, yeah. sort of life cycle. And that's what's neat is, I guess that would be the role of the leader is to see, and, and I guess who you're talking to. I mean, because there's also just right. the, sometimes you just hear the inspirational story of the the go getter in the company that did something above and beyond, and sometimes that's the story we need to hear, or the story right. of how we supported one of our own that was struggling and had a sick child, and we raised money. And I mean, there's just there, there's power in it, but I guess too that means you got to have your ear to the ground enough to hear the needs and the stories of the people. Right, and. And all of the stories that you tell in an organization need to really sort of reflect the sort of core values. So every story that gets told emphasizes those core values of the company. And I think that's when you get engagement is when people have really bought in. You know, we talked about the archetype with the ladies buying bleach. But there's really a universal uh, mythology and universal archetypes that people really subscribe to in a very biological way. When we go back to Carl Jung, who believed in the collective unconscious, but those all these other stories are reflections of this that reinforce these core values and reinforce those emotions. It really is. Um, it seems like you know executives. That's one thing. It seems like exactly what parents need to be doing. I mean, if I'm a parent, I need you to buy in deeply to my stories, and I need you to hear that you're connected to the bigger purpose, and you need to hear that our values are are in there, right? So this is just as applicable to a parent as it is the CEO. Right, absolutely. And just as applicable to the parent is to hear the kid's version of this story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what do you think happened here? How do you think that matters? Yeah, how would you have felt if you were that? Yeah. Yeah, people ask me a lot, you know, what do you do with all this junk on TV, you know, and how is that good for kids? And so most of it's, you know, not all of it, but most of it are tremendous learning opportunities where you say, wow, you know, Lindsay Lohan just did something again. <laughs> what, you know, yeah. if you were her mother, what would you do? Or how does that look to you? Does that, you know, in other words, where you're, um, you're really trying to engage them in a way where they're, they're no longer talking to mom or dad, but they're thinking about, the ramifications or the implications of a social condition. Mm. You know, even if it's based on a celebrity, it doesn't matter. You're really talking about fundamental decisions and morals and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's tremendous fodder out there. For oh, lessons. yeah. I love that idea. Exactly. I mean, it really is healthy. That's a healthier way to look at it because instead of just being so mad at the world and the media that's creating all these thoughts that we have to talk about, instead engage it and say, hey, 
This is an opportunity for you to go build more of a story, build more of a unified, even a transition, a transformation story for your own children. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, uh, who's helping us understand the power of stories and how we tell our stories, how we engage people and increase emotion so that we have more influence and um, opportunity with the people we love and the people we work with. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your uh, guide on the side. And on today's program, we're trying to give you some tools to improve and better understand the power of storytelling. You know, the storytelling that uh, that you how you go about enrolling and creating a culture. How you go go about sharing, you know, your core values, your your uh, your big picture. If you're a leader. And maybe even how you go about talking to your kids, your family, in a way that uh, you engage emotion. I mean, a lot of times it's easy to just kind of give the list. Don't do this. You were home late, blah, blah, blah. But maybe instead of trying to just reach our kids with the same old, you know, litany of of things that aren't necessarily engaging their head or their heart, what if we could figure out a way to actually get them tied into a deeper purpose, get them bought in or at least understanding and contributing to a co-creation of um, of a bigger picture of our life as a family, as an employee. It's just a powerful tool. And Dr. Pamela Rutledge is joining us. She is a pioneer in the field of media psychology. She's been um, working as a strategic problem solver for communicating in a networked and mobile world. She also is a lecturer, a writer, She's been in a lot of uh, major um, publications. She also writes professionally uh, and academically. Academically, kind of, she's she's worked and published a lot in the Oxford Handbook of Media Psychology. She's got some stuff there in Global Mobile. She's also a blogger for Psychology Today. She's been seen on the New York Times, the UK Guardian, the Huffington Post, Good Morning America, you name it. And now the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. She's making it happen, doing it. She's a faculty member at uh, adjunct faculty at Fielding Graduate University and is the professor of leadership and media psychology at the Massachusetts School of Professional Psychology. Dr. Rutledge, thank you so much for being with us. It's, it's my pleasure. That's a big vitae you're making me read there. Actually, you're not making me read well, it. Well, yeah, you're, feel free to just, Well, you know, I can't stop. It's all fascinating to me. And, and, you know, roll on. No, you're good. Um, so tell me this. As, uh, th- there's, you know, stories. There's a lot of power to be able to, you know, enroll as a teacher, get the children more engaged in the creation of their own kind of experience and stories. There's also kind of a scary downside to storytelling there's there's some things we might want to be aware of it seems like when it comes to uh media marketing branding stuff like that what should we be watching out for well i i don't want to say that there's a dark side to storytelling per se because that is how we communicate i mean and everything is fundamentally a story that's how the brain makes sense out of everything at the same time it's important to have a certain amount of call it media literacy, technological mm. literacy, or even communications literacy, where you, you have the opportunity to, to say to yourself, who's telling you this message and why? Yeah, what's the source here? Yeah. Right, because, because 
our natural inclination biologically and neurologically is to, when someone tells us a story, is to take a trip with them. It happens without us realizing it. We see the pictures. It's called narrative transportation. Off we go. We have a little adventure. Um, and how many times have you been listening to a story where you realize you've been seeing the story world? You haven't been aware of your presence wherever you were standing or right, sitting. Right, right. So, so there are, if it's with advertisements, those kinds of things, it's important to have the habit of asking yourself, who's telling the story and what's their agenda, and does it fit mine? Hmm. So it doesn't mean that, you know, that every advertisement is a bad thing. And I'd much rather be entertained than sold to. Right. Um, there, are certain, there are certain things I do need to buy. Um, and, and in fact, if, if I need a pair of running shoes, and they're essentially uh, equivalent, then why not buy the one that makes me feel the most powerful? Right. I mean, because really, that, that's, that's it, isn't it? I mean, it's and, and you feel more powerful simply because... They've engaged you in their story. Yeah, exactly. And in, in that sense, it's, say, I mean, you use Nike, who gets used all the time, as, as having a good brand story, and, and very consciously constructed in a very archetypal way, mm-hmm. that what they're, they're doing is they're a little bit offering people the opportunity to step into the role of Nike, yeah. right? the, the victory, you know, and, and to experience the sort of... Um, to experience that narrative arc, you know, the hero's journey, right? That, it, yeah, it's hard and I can do it. And, and so all of that is embedded in, in that little logo hmm. is hope and uh, challenge and determination and victory, which is quite masterful when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but, but it's all there, and there are a lot of brands that offer those kind of archetypal experiences that... If you're aware of them and you can still enjoy it, that's great. It's when, when you're not engaging your critical thinking. <laughs> and so I think that with, with most communications, it's important to ask yourself, what's the source? Yeah. I mean, and that's true with news as well as it is with marketing. Maybe Which that's say, what it know, is, because we're not present. Real, I mean, it, you know, with all communication, to some degree, you've got to be present so you can ask some of those questions and and, and question the deeper meaning and listen and hear what's actually being said instead. But it seems like with a lot of our, uh, some forms of media, we just turn it on and just, it's like we just jump in the river and start going wherever it takes us. Well, my guess is that it's not good to jump in the river and start going anywhere without yeah. thinking, no matter what you're doing. All right, right. So it's just, it's just another opportunity to be, to create a awareness of this, you know, wonderful symphony of stuff around us and information. I mean, I wouldn't trade it the world because it's there's the access is incredible you can you know geography is no longer a limitation for getting an education you know these things that have made such profound differences to people yeah so it it just demands just like learning to drive a car it just demands a, a set of skills that we need to practice well it's you everybody's experienced it seems like this idea of a nike brand for example um where you just when you're shopping for it, you just feel for a second a little healthier, a little more fit, right. a little more connected to Michael Jordan. That's my old school. Right. But you just yeah. you you and, and yeah. you so buy it. Really you're buying important. that concept. Right, which is why they can charge more. Right. Ugh. But but it's really important that they deliver. Yeah. In other words, they can't do something to violate that brand because they're not just violating 
the product. They're violating your dream. And that's very hard to repair. Right. Well, you know, interestingly, because you probably see a lot of times where political candidates, they, they, they build this relationship with you. They tell you their story. You're so deeply connected. And then they do something that lets you down. However, whoever, you know, there's so many stories in the media now about it. But um, and the interesting thing is, as a, as a culture, we'll forgive you, but rewrite the narrative. Write me another narrative. Give me another. Right. Give me the comeback story. Give me the transformation. Help me understand well, your yeah. fall. Right. Exactly. So, so the the brands that have best survived that, the politicians that have best survived that, are the ones that are very honest and transparent. I mean, we love the prodigal son. Yeah. And we embrace him every time. But the prodigal son didn't like sneak around out there and pretend he wasn't bad. Yeah. He was bad. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knew he was you know, bad. Okay. He was in the papers. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think you're oh. right on there. And it, it's something about the um, it, I, I think that actually says a lot about our culture, that if you'll just if you'll be as honest as you can and just or at least I guess half the time we don't know if they're being honest. But if you'll be more honest with me, I'm willing to let you even tell me what the next story is going to be. I'm even willing to go there with you. Let's have a comeback story for a Michael Vick a football quarterback who got in trouble uh, with the dog fighting, and he's had a really great comeback story and is back. And I, I right. like that we have a society that's willing to not just be played by. I mean, this isn't just marketing and branding. Some, I mean, it's it's really our whole life. Every one of us are going to fall, and the ability to actually rewrite our story and then tell that story instead of like the victim story the rest of our life, it's powerful. It's very powerful. In fact. It's really important because what we want to teach our kids is that it's okay to fail because that's how you learn. Right. You never make a mistake. You aren't learning and you're not growing. So the last thing we want them to do is be, you know, terrified in the corner of the room to do anything because they don't want to fail. Mm. I mean, and then and then you even see that in uh, politics where you have certain people that I think some of the best candidates on earth will never show up simply because they don't want to be a part of this scene. They don't want to have to go play the storytelling and don't want to be a part of that. And again, that's the same thing. You know, let's let's change the game. Let's not just be mad right. at everyone that's in it. Yeah, well, and it's hard, too, when, when somebody comes in and then people go digging for their story because then it's out of context. It's another thing if you've been on the narrative journey with someone and they fall off. Um, you're much more likely to, like Michael Vick, yeah. um, work with them to bring it back. And, you know, he's a warrior. I mean, he's in that architecture. Right, there's way. the architecture. He stuff. is yeah. a warrior. I mean, those guys work their fannies off to be tough and strong and, you know, and all of that. So we're already admiring his work ethic. We're disappointed because of his failing, but we want him to come back. We don't want him to just show up and everybody go, oh, no problem, but we want him to work to come back, and then we want him to succeed. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating to me. I um, actually studied at Fielding, um, got my doctorate there, but I, I worked oh, with— Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I worked with Barnett Pierce uh-huh. there, and I don't know if, how familiar you were with Barnett on the human development side, but he taught the theory of coordinated management of meaning— that mm-hmm. as humans, we, we, have to, we have to coordinate what things mean. 
And um, and so there, it's always a kind of a two part role where there's you know, there might be the speaker, but then the listener has to kind of figure out what he's hearing and how that fits. And then we have to respond. And and really, it seems like sometimes when it comes with media literacy, for example, we just kind of let them talk to us. But you're bringing out another part that you're still an active player in the conversation because you're listening and you're deciding what it means to you. Right. You're, yeah, you're a part of most, this. You're not just being marketed. You're actually a player. You're an agent in this marketing. You're either going to buy or you're, you're not. You're an agent in the marketing. And you're also, what you're queuing into are the things that are relevant to you. So that might have, you know, three quarters of the information might have just flown over you like water off a duck's back. Right. It wasn't relevant to you. And so where you clue in is where it's relevant, which is why storytelling can be such a great thing between couples is to say, well, this is what I think happened. What do you think happened? Oh, I love that. You know, that. it's like yeah. I'll show my husband a picture of a room, and I'll say, isn't this pretty? And he'll say, well, I don't like that chair. And I'll say, well, I was looking at the paint color. You know, I mean. <laughs> I didn't even see the chair. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But we negotiate so, it, don't we? We And it yeah, doesn't mean it's right or wrong, good or bad. It's like we're both a participant. But if you hear someone else's story, you go, oh, you know, I didn't see, you know, I didn't see the story that way. You know, mm-hmm. here's my, you know, and then you can construct it, you know, and as long as there's goodwill, you can you can construct that difference and bridge that gap. Well, and it, it even, um, I guess part of the key to that is that openness, huh? Where we're both a lot, we're both willing to let the story be more than it is for either one of us. We can, we can add to our own stories and, and grow it. I guess it's when we get closed and the story has to be one thing that we kind of stop, right. we stop the, you know, the mutuality. Right. When when you're not willing to alter or share your story and you're just saying you did this, that just is saying I'm not willing to change my story. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, because, again, I think a lot of us like to play the kind of the victim, like kind of that the media is out to get us, that um, that the world's not fair, that whatever. But stories are created. And it's funny. I've just been dealing a lot with a lot of PR people recently, and um, it's amazing how they can take anyone and find a story that you know the media would want to tell. Mm-hmm. There's just it's just forming the story, and and it's it's funny that kind of the rest of us we don't see our lives that way. But but um, you know even getting jobs and a resume we were talking about earlier, the resume is just a story. Right. Well, a fun exercise is to take a little bit of your own story and then tell it as a drama and then tell it as a comedy and then tell it as a tragedy. And then you see these different sides of it and it doesn't change what happens, but it really changes your perceptions and your emotions about what happens. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating because some of us only think of our life as a drama, but it really might just (laughs) be a comedy. It's pretty funny when you think about it. But And that's also interesting, too, I guess, because if you think everything's a drama, you can take something that's not that dramatic and turn it into a serious drama. Yes, you can. And these might be the people that blow stuff out of proportion or and then you can also take some things that are maybe sacred. And if you're if it's always a comedy, you do, you know, you you minimize it by making it a comedy. I mean, it's there's really an art to this, isn't there? Right. Well, it's, it's all about perspective and empathy. That's really what a good story is, is delivering perspective and empathy so that you're actually walking in someone else's shoes on their journey with them. And that's where you'll, I mean, 
that that's a pretty cool metaphor because if someone's in your shoes, either they stole them or you let them in. <laughs> if I take my shoes off and let you walk in them, that's a pretty that's that bonding connected thing. And if you'll you know you tread lightly because you're I'm letting you borrow my shoes. Uh, it's a powerful <laughs> thing, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it is. It's the way you open people up. Well, man, that's uh, now. Now we'll give you one more question, Pam. Is this? Okay. Do you take this home? I mean, because here you sit, media psychology. It's kind of a. It's kind of an up and coming field. Um, it's. I think it's really needed. Um, but do you bring? I mean, this seems like such a cool thing to bring home, and just to take these ideas to your family. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I. <laughs> My children will will tell you that they got pestered to death by by questions about one thing or another and what they use and how they think. But but it also was such a great thing to be to be thinking about while they were becoming teenagers and to recognize that what their normal was wasn't necessarily what my normal was, and to try and understand the, the sort of the things they were seeing and the stories they were seeing and how they saw their lives playing out. So it's That's yeah. Huge. It's, I mean, fundamentally, psychology is behind everything, behind yeah. stuff that you studied and, or behavior. I mean, it's really all rooted in psychology, and all I'm doing is applying it to media and technology. But it's really about understanding human behavior and, um, and trying to figure out how you best help people grow and flourish. Love it. And, in, in it, and the root, like you were talking about with your daughter, is that empathy or your kids – once you once we can start to open up and understand their stories, it's going to open up your empathy. That empathy is going to give you so much joy just in life because you're going to understand more. But it's also going to give you influence and opportunity and buy-in and powerful. Right. Dr. Exactly. Pamela Rutledge. Why, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no. I was just going to say that's why I always tell parents who hate video games when their kids love them to sit down with them and say, "What's yeah. it that you like about this game?" Yeah. It's too Tell easy what the to story hate. Story is in this game. Right. And understand and learn. It's too easy to just hate everything. Let's start trying to understand the stories of others. Dr. Pamela Rutledge, appreciate you. Media psychologist, go check out her website. My pleasure. You bet. www.pamelarutledge.com. PamelaRutledge.com. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break and be right back. We're going to keep exploring the idea of stories and the stories we tell. Uh, Stay tuned. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about storytelling and, you know, the impact it has. Now, our own Bryce Tobin has decided to take on a certain type of storyteller. Uh, Fictional storyteller. A fictional storyteller we call the pathological liar. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce is Right. I love a good story. My ideal evening would be a group of four to eight people sitting around drinking some tasty beverages, my preference being a McFuddy's pepper elixir, and just telling stories back and forth. The stories always range from unrepeatable feats to epic train wrecks that just get worse and worse. And I like this because here I have this person in front of me. They are real. Amazing things happen to them, yet I can reach out and touch them. Or terrible things happened one after the other, and yet here they are, sitting in front of me. They survived. They're here laughing along with me. It's all very humanizing. You know what I don't like? 
finding out that someone is a compulsive liar after such a wonderful night of stories. Then again, I understand the temptation. If you're among a group of people that you want to impress, why not embellish a little bit? Make things look a little bit more intense or make yourself look a little less idiotic. I get it, but this kind of thing irritates me. Here's how that story goes. After a night of glorious stories, I run into someone who is present for one of them. I'll say something like, oh hey, I met Bill last night and he told me about the time that you two wrestled six crocodiles and then became best friends with them afterwards. And then this person will say something like, wait, we never became friends with them. And then we'll part ways and then that whole night will be soured as I try to figure out what other details were fibbed. And then I feel like an idiot for believing some of the things they said. Who makes friends with crocodiles? So why do people do this? Well, the compulsive lying makes for an interesting behavioral disorder. Sometimes people lie out of fear, like when someone tries to hand me a flyer as I'm walking by and they ask me a question, I'll almost automatically lie just to get them to go away. I've had lots of flyers pushed my way, I'm yet to receive one that was relevant. But that's not the source for pathological liars. For them, it's a long-term ordeal that's connected to their personality. They stretch the truth because they're truth stretchers. But you want to know the weird part? It's never a total fabrication. It's like they're always playing that game, two truths and a lie. Except we don't know they're playing the game, and they make it as hard as possible to figure out. Then again, you gotta give credit to them for having the mental fortitude to always be playing this game. But there is a catch. Once you make up a story, that's the story forever. So you gotta remember what did happen, what you made up, and who you told. And herein lies the fundamental flaw. Well, the flaw besides constantly lying. But if you ever wonder if someone's pulling your leg, I have a simple trick for you. Play their game a little bit. Say something like, remember that time you told me about how you wrestled crocodiles and became best friends with them and got peach pie afterwards? Then you wait. In their head, they're trying to find all the pieces to the puzzle they've created. And sometimes they can't keep track of it all. If they decide to go along with your peach pie addendum, pow, you caught them. If not, then play it off and rest assured in the knowledge that it's probably safe to believe what they have to say. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. You just gave us the trick to catch a liar. The addendum. It's, it's like the show. It's like that NBC show to catch a predator. Uh, but it's different. It's to catch a liar. Yeah, that was when I put the title for this. I was like, oh, that's a little close to something else. Was I not supposed to say it out loud? Well, you can. I mean, I you know, did. I'm sure everyone thought of it. I but did. I don't think I'm getting it back. That's fine. It's out there. You, I don't know why you hate liars so much. Well... Um, you well, know, I do. I think you just did a rant on you gotta, it. You know, it takes one to know one. Yeah. Um, but, but you have a trap, and the trap is, hey, do you remember that one story, and you get half of their lie, I guess, so you know that they told part of it, right? And right. then you have to throw in a peach pie comment. <laughs> it's just something. Just anything. I and think then... Bryce's method is a little bit better than your listening to their breathing putting your head right to their mouth and see who breathes well the let's hardest. recap because some people just join the show and you and then you decide people okay i think i know how to do this okay go, go. okay so um i walk in my living room something's broken i look at my kids i'm like hey what happened and they'll all say nothing and i'm like none of you saw anything and they're like no it wasn't us then i go put my ear to their mouth and I listen to see who's heavy breathing. And see, and see. That's okay. the person that just ran to that seat. Okay. And so. What would you say? It's similar situation. I get everyone be like, you know, who, who broke the, the, the uh, ottoman? The, the urn. Who? With grandma. Who broke, <laughs> who broke the grandma's urn? urn. <laughs> but you got to throw, throw something else in there. Who broke the urn and punched a hole in the wall upstairs? And then when someone says, I didn't do the urn, but. 
I did the other hole. other child did the hole. Oh, throw him under the bus. Pow! You got him okay. right there. Well, just tell me when I throw the pie in. When do I throw the apple or the peach pie and, in? And and who stole a slice of the pie? You could throw that one in there. Yours is more complicated. So now, Sky, judge those two. Just the simple, hey, put the ear up to the mouth. Is this one heavy breathing compared to that one? That what just seems, some some what, people are just heavy breathers, Matt. Some they people can't are, help it. Some of them are mouth breathers. Well, okay, so first, okay, I've got to add an addendum. <laughs> and some people breathe out their nose. Well, check if your child has asthma. If your child doesn't See, have then asthma. it's getting more complicated. And if they don't have a deviated septum, they ought to breathe <laughs> fairly cleanly. I have a whistle in there. <laughs> See, the problem is... Like a chipped tooth. None of you are parents, but I'm a parent. So by the time... We're going to implement this lie detector. You'll be dead. I'll be dead. Or so I've got to simplify it. I've got to you see yours are more complicated. What you do is you just start you just start hitting kids. You just start smacking them around. You're not supposed to hit your kids, but you just threaten to hit them. See, that's the problem with yours is that you have to lie to the liar. That means you're becoming a liar. And as we all know, two wrongs make a right. No. Or three lefts make a right if you want to get technical. Yeah, that's exactly right, technically speaking. I wonder if anyone's listening. You think, Sky? I think your we're still is. in beta testing mode, right? So We've been beta testing for a year and a half. <laughs> I still want... I just... I'm mad that I didn't get the uh, the other show. The Appleseed? I want the Appleseed show. Because <laughs> this Matt Townsend show thing's not working. I don't even like the guy. I don't you like should try working with him. I bet. Man, okay, well, whatever. We're going to keep trying. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Kim Giles, who's going to help us figure out how to make this show better. Kim Giles, our life coach, is going to be joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking storytelling today, and uh, we've got Kim Giles joining us. Now, Kim, she she's a guru. She probably would hate to be called that. But she was Good Morning America, named her as one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country. She's appeared on Good Morning America, good, the Good Morning Utah Show. She's on everything. She's... The bomb. She's uh, she's got a ton of uh, of advice in a, at a Deseret News, but she has a column life advice. How do on they get to KSL. that? Uh, that's on KSL.com. Yeah, every Monday morning. How do they get to all your bits? ClarityPointCoaching.com. That's right. Clarity Point Coaching. Clarity Point Coaching. Now we need your help because okay. we've talked about two things that I know you can help us with. One, storytelling. It seems like a lot of people tell stories that aren't necessarily good for them to keep telling. Like, yeah, I'm I, stupid. Well, or the victim stories yeah. you were mentioning. Yeah. Because every event that happens to us, we kind of formulate a story about it. Most of the time, we formulate a story that makes us feel better about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a victim story. Is that what it is? Well, or sometimes it's an I'm a I'm better than I'm, I'm somebody cool else. Than, yeah, that's yeah, like, like inflated. You you work with a lot of couples that are oh, having marriage problems. Yeah, they each have a completely different story of what's oh, yeah. been happening in that marriage. But since you could have two victims. Yeah. Or you can have sometimes there's the villain story where they both tell the story. It's not that they're a victim. It's just that the other one is an is evil spawn. 
yep. of just the dark side. And once they create that, they are only interested in evidence that supports yeah. that their story That's is true. That's the problem, huh? Because once you tell the story and you're used to telling that story. You want to be right. Yes. We get really overly attached to being right. I hate and that. I almost think the more attached you are, the more wrong you probably are. No, that's actually true, huh? Because then, yeah. and, and that would actually be the more angry you're getting about any other data, even if the data is obvious, you'll just dismiss it like, well, okay, that time. But the other yeah, time. But that's just an exception. Yeah, just because... one where we actually have data right there. <laughs> they blow that up. Isn't that weird? We really, our minds are amazing. Yeah, they are. Because if we tell the story long enough, we really believe oh, it. Oh, we do. Even if. No one else does. We'll even talk like we believe it. Oh, we do believe it. Yeah. I think we get fuzzy after a while. And they've, they've proven that sometimes your brain can't tell the difference between fantasy and reality. And oh, if yeah. you've fantasized it enough, you will actually believe it. I know that's true with Skyboy. He does that all He the time. can't tell reality or <laughs> illusion if it kicked him in the kisser. Sorry, Sky. But, I mean, you wouldn't wear those clothes if you really knew you weren't a superhero, so we know you believe you are. I am a superhero, Matt. <laughs> you totally believe it. So, um, so, so one of the deals is, and you got to watch your stories because we, um, we advance them. We kind of, it's kind of like our PR. You just kind of keep advancing your it's PR. It's a spin at this point. Yeah. And then once it's spun, it's out there. So then that becomes the story that even others spin back to us. Oh, your husband. It's so like when you see divorcing couples. One will, it'll all be about the hate, the hate of their partner. Oh, he's the, and he did this and he did this yeah. and now you've spun it out there and then they keep spinning it back. But remember, cause you might be like, I might go back to him. I mean, we're starting to do a little better, but no, you can't go back to him. Do you remember? Yeah, and then they start already, spinning the stories. You, right. Back. You've got everyone in your world convinced that he is the villain. Oh, you can't change your mind. And you're trapped. Big trouble. I know someone in that situation. Isn't that sad? You know, divorces go up when you're, when your friends divorce. You, your likelihood of divorcing within the next year, year and a half, goes up about 75%. Not, I mean, as to where it is right now. So if oh, you have a 1% I totally chance, it'll go up 75%. Yeah, but if that you would a, play out. If you have a 30% out. chance, it's going to go up 75%. Not weird? Because your friends are there, and we're all spinning these stories. And like the story of a lot of divorcees is, it's such a good life. Oh, man, it's so great. I'm, I can eat haagen every night. But don't... Okay, I've been single. <laughs> They're making up that story it's to make totally it look good. It it, it and it might be fun. good for a month, you know? Yeah, it gets old fast. Totally it does. Yeah. And then, um, but that's the problem with our stories. We don't usually evaluate them. We evaluate everyone else's story. Like, that's a bunch of junk, Kim. That's the dumbest story I've ever heard. But we don't evaluate ours. Well, I was thinking when you guys were talking about liars, and, and some of them consciously are telling a lie and they know yeah. they are. And there's an agenda there to either cover something up or make themselves. They right. know. But there's a lot of people that are subconsciously driven to lie. They don't plan it. It just starts coming out of their mouth that way. Now, what is their deal? Well, I think that a lot of them learned this as a little kid and it worked at some point. Yeah. It either earned Who them the lamp? sympathy or it got them out of yeah trouble. Yeah, and so it's become a subconscious program. They just start doing it, and they don't even realize. I think that I think you're right on, and and it's just easier. It's just conflict avoidance, or it's you know embarrassment avoidance. It's some of, or it's, it's it's about getting validation or attention. Mm. Sometimes as a kid, you exaggerated a story, and it got you all this yeah. attention. So you subconsciously continue to do it That's, for that you know reason. What? We've just fixed Sky. Is that what he does? That's oh. why he's wearing the tights. <laughs> 
Because as a kid, trying to get attention. he thought he was a superhero. We love you, Sky. Okay. So, you know, I always say it all goes back to fear. Yeah, but, always. But it's that fear that you're not good enough mm-hmm. and you felt the need to exaggerate or make something up so that you get that validation that would kind of cure that fear. Yeah. That you're not enough. It's interesting. Um, and the lying is the same. See, but you brought up a point about lying that you love to lie as much as you can. No, you didn't say that. You said <laughs> I, there, there are sometimes, because some of the things we say, for example, about our spouse or our ex-spouse, that's just easier. Some of what we say about them is a lie. Some of them, sometimes we don't um, know we're lying about them because we're not checking our stories. But you're saying there might be a time where you could actually create a healthy lie. Yeah, but it's in a specific kind of situation, so I'll have to explain it to you. Because every time something happens, you have a subconscious reaction automatically. You just react. Yeah, And a lot of times that is not a healthy reaction because it's your subconscious fears that are driving it, so it's not good behavior. So I'm going to give you an example. A couple weeks ago, we were up at our cabin, and when we lock up to leave, it's a huge process to get the whole place buttoned down, locked up, chained the gates, finally drive away. And five, ten minutes out of town, my daughter says, I forgot something. I forgot. We have to go back. I was not happy in that moment to find out I was going to have to go redo everything I just did. What did you do? Okay. In that my reaction was going to be to not be nice to my kid. Yeah. So in that moment, I I have a choice to make. So you felt this, you know, like this, this feeling of wanting to react. Yeah, and make her feel bad. Yeah, crush her. You should have been on top of yeah. that, which really wouldn't serve no. anybody to do that. So I actually learned this technique from studying the work of Viktor Frankl. Love that man. Author of Man's Search for Meaning. Yep. One of the best books of all time. Austrian psychiatrist thrown into Auschwitz, captured by the Nazis. And he's taught us so much about life from what yeah. he experienced there. But one of the things he teaches is that you're you're going to apply meaning to everything that happens in your life anyway. Yeah. So is there a meaning that would serve a higher purpose in every setting that would help you get to love? So I'll tell you what I did in the car. I realized in this moment I'm going to lie to myself that my daughter just saved our life because five minutes down the road we were going to get in a car accident. Interesting. And and the reason I got to that is I I choose to believe that there's a good reason everything happens. That everything that happens to you could serve you yeah. or it could just drive you crazy and make you miserable and make you suffer. Yeah, yeah. But it could serve you if you chose to see it that way. So I decided to give that girl a hug and thank her for saving my life yeah. and her brothers and sisters and have a good attitude about going back and unlocking okay. everything. Let me test this. It was a lie. What happens if you get back to the cabin and you get shredded by a bear? Okay, then, that would be hard that's to spin. A di- <laughs> <laughs> I love that point because the whole point is you're saying uh, no one's going to get shredded by the bear. No bears were injured it, in this story. It's unlikely. However... You're, I call it in my business, my work, humanizing. So what we tend to do when we're afraid and angry and our subconscious is firing, we dehumanize. Yeah, so we she see did it because she's a, a selfish, object. not focused, 
lazy. I told her 20 times to get her junk and she didn't get it. So we start going off and dehumanizing her. And in that moment, I see her value as less important than my yeah. time Crusher, to have to right? go back. Yeah, it's five minutes. Isn't that terrible? Right. So instead we humanize and I always teach to ask the question. So by the way, either way we're guessing whether she did it because she's an evil, horrible, lazy jerk or because she just made a mistake. Which we all do. Which we all do. All the time. Either one, they're just guesses. So if we're going to guess, you're saying you may as well guess more positively. From a place of love. From love and appreciation. Than negatively, which just perpetuates more anger and frustration. So I asked the question, why would a loving, decent, cute, smart, wonderful, fun-loving teenage girl. I just actually insert five positive words about the person. Why would they do such a thing? Yeah, why would they do that? Because they were just caught up. They were excited to leave. There was, I gave her 20 things to do and she did 19. And she was overwhelmed. There was no and, evil intent. No. She's just a teenage girl. Yep. Or, or she hates my guts and she's slowly trying to drive me crazy. <laughs> Take your pick. Well, like, okay, so most days when my husband and I go ride our road bikes, he gets flat tire. And it's getting creepy because I never, yeah. we're on the why? same trails. You know I why, never though? get one. Because you ride lighter than he does. Is that it? I don't know. I'm, I not, don't a, know. I'm not a road. Dog. I've told him the real reason is that the universe is giving him chances to practice handling frustration in a more calm way. See, that's it. And I'm already good at that, so it's not yeah, giving me those opportunities. That's exactly. <laughs> but it's still affecting you because you have to sit and wait for him. But that has helped him. Every time he gets a flat tire, he's decided, oh, this is the universe giving yeah. me an opportunity to grow. That's great. And handle things. So he's spinning it in a way that has a better meaning and purpose. Or just use the, the traffic example that you you just avoided another accident. You can spin it positive. Or, but see, then all of a sudden, everything you're doing, you're going to, it's just eventually going to catch up with you because all these people want to hit you in cars. On your well, it's not the same lie every time. Okay. So if you're going to lie positively, <laughs> no, let change me give, the lie. Can I give you another yeah, example? Yeah, give me another one. Okay. The story Victor Frankl used is he had a, a client, a man whose wife had died. And he had fallen into deep depression, didn't want to go on. He was so lonely and miserable. And he was starting to kind of curse God yeah. that this had happened to him. And Victor Frankl said, tell me what would have happened if your wife had died first. And she had been left, or you had died first, and she had been left alone. How would she have handled that? And he said, oh, she would have been even more miserable. She couldn't really care for herself, and it would have been awful for her. And he said, well, what if maybe there was a a choice, and, and you decided to let her go first, and you bear this instead of having her do it? Mm. Now, we have no way to know if that's true. No way to know. Can't validate it. But thinking that possibly that was true, choosing to have that be his story mm-hmm. meant there was purpose and meaning to his suffering yeah. and his loneliness. And he was more OK with it. Yeah. Because it served her. So isn't that that's a what weird I mean by the spin? I love it. I love the what we're going to call now officially the positive lie. Positive lie. I, I like f- it. But what I like about it is um, you get you kind of get to a feeling of peace where so it may not matter how you got there if it's if it brings you back to not having fear well so if you're, i mean meaning if, if you're doing it because what that story is about love yeah and the story you gave earlier about the bicycle is about you know um, kind of an intervention that saved you or that you're gaining a loving benefit from your trials but that is actually the core 
philosophy behind it is that is this life here to serve us? Is there meaning and purpose in everything that happens to us? Yes. And is it for our good or is life just out to get you? That's because if you, is whatever you decide, you? yeah, it, it, whatever you decide, that's what it will be every time. So I have chosen this philosophy. I've been through so many hard things in yeah. my life. I've, I've had to choose a philosophy that every one of those things is there to serve me in some way. So now when something happens, I, I make up a story about how yeah. that could be serving me. And I don't know for sure if it's true, but I don't know that it's not either. Well, well and honestly, again, it doesn't matter because either way you're making it up. Whether you, you know, always are. You're always making it up because you don't know if it's true. So a lot of the pessimists spend all of their time trying to – they think being pessimistic is going to help them from being taken advantage of, for example. But in reality, um, when the optimist is taken advantage of, what do they say? Oh, well, I guess it's just fate trying to give me an opportunity to, <laughs> to learn. To grow and learn. <laughs> Changed. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't. You can spend your whole life trying to protect yourself out of fear. Or you can choose optimistic denial, which is what I've yeah. been accused of. Yeah. Optimistic delusion. Yeah. But you know what? If I'm happy and peaceful and more loving, I think it's a good choice. Right. If I put you, the optimistic delusional... Yes. Head to head with the pessimistic realist, I'd take you any day for life than him or her. Because yeah. they're going to be a miss. They're going to be a basket case. And they're going to be and they're going to critique. The and bottom gonna... line is that suffering is optional. Totally. In every situation. Yeah. Especially if you believe in the fact that you can change it by changing your thinking or having a, a belief set that's a little bit uh, a, a bigger magnifier like if, if your belief set is that there's inherent good in the world that's a huge belief set yeah and that there's and a that god the universe that cares. is here to serve uh -huh. us and everything that happens is helping us become better yeah i know about my hair kim my hair's a mess <laughs> and you're like okay let's just go to the bigger picture picture and the bigger picture can have the power to just change this intense little moment even if um it's a big moment of negative intensity. Well, and there's some pretty bad things that happen. I've, I've got a client right now who had two sons, and one was killed in a car accident. Mm. And a year later, the other committed suicide. And she's lost both her boys. Yeah. And, and she's spent years with a very negative spin, and it hasn't gotten her very far, but bitter. Yeah. And, and so we've been working on this idea that if... Everything the universe is here to serve your process of growing and learning. Yeah. Then is there meaning and purpose in this experience that you're having? Does it serve anything? Right. And and Viktor Frankl would take that kind of story and encourage someone to try to come up with 10 positive things that that situation could benefit you or the world or other people. Oh, yeah. And you can usually come up with them. That's how he made it through that camp was envisioning the day he'd be back in his wife's arms. And, and it got him through and envisioning the day he'd be teaching on the stage of a, psych, a psychology class at Stanford, I think, or wherever he was from. And no, no, he didn't know that his wife was killed in like the first year or second year. I can't remember. But he yeah. kept that dream alive. And that, that which interestingly was a lie. 
It was a hopeful, but delusional you had lie. to have a hope to yeah. get you through what, it. Yeah, what else would he have? But he also realized that in every suffering situation, there's an opportunity to turn this into a human achievement if you decide to experience yeah. it that way and that you're going to make it mean something to you how you get through it. And as long as you have a meaning or purpose, you can survive. Oh, I think that's powerful. Kim, man, you got your stuff. I don't care even if you're talking about positive lying. <laughs> it's I mean, still but, a good topic. But No, it really is. I mean, that's life right there. You can take anything. And it's not just, oh, putting your head in the sand. You're such a positive optimist. Deal with the death of two children. It's not about just being positive. No. It's about reframing it in a much higher, hopeful, loving context. So, I mean, just imagine the boys coming back and talking to her. What would they come back and say to you? Well, that they've learned lessons from this, that for some reason yeah. this journey was... Like, Mom, that, this was not as bad as you think. You're seeing yeah. it from your side. Our side, this is awesome. We learned this the perfect so lessons cool. from it. That's and she huge. is too. Kim, you're a good coach. Thank you. We ought to have you on more regularly. <laughs> I think you're than every be on other more. week. I know. Uh, Kim Giles is her name. You know, advice guru is her game. ClarityPointCoaching.com. Go check it out. She's got a bazillion articles, blog entries. Try to have something to help anybody. You got you're a question, we want to help. Kim's going to stick with us. We're going to come back and we're going to play a little game called Malarkey. We're going to make up stories and see who can tell if it's a lie or a truth. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the game show we call Malarkey. Who better to help us with that? Are you dancing? <laughs> you guys have Do not lived to have seen Skyboy in a cape and a unitard. Um, <laughs> shaking it. Like he's low on sugar. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing a game called Malarkey. Hannah Montana is going to uh, educate us or give us a game. Tell us the instructions. Okay, so like Kim's you said. still with us. Kim Giles, <laughs> life coach extraordinaire. And what are we going to do? You Hannah? guys are competing to this the is, death. Okay, um, so how in, do you win this game? Because last time I don't, played, don't tell her how to win. he beat me. Tell me how to win. <laughs> this is good. Uh, be a better liar or make us think that you're lying or telling the truth whichever one you're not doing so the game is malarkey okay um you guys have both chosen stories to talk about matt's going to talk about an interesting nickname mm-hmm. um a story about that we're going to determine whether or not it is malarkey okay and kim is going to be talking about giving a speech or presentation okay so Are if we, we can call call it as it is and do you, who do you want to go first um, we're going to have Matt go first. You're gonna okay, go first. here we I'll go. point at you. <laughs> my, uh, my, my nickname growing up was Reggie. Uh, after the, after the great, uh, New York Yankee, Reggie Jackson. And I would pl- I was a baseball player, of course, um, highly physical and in about probably, I don't know, sixth grade, seventh, sixth grade, seventh grade, uh, bases were loaded seven innings. It was in the seventh inning, two outs. Three balls, two strikes on me. I'm up to bat. I'm playing the green majors. We just went by colors back then. And I didn't have names or creativity enough to make up a name. So we were the greens. We were, we were playing the blue majors. And I was actually an orange major playing the blue majors, I believe they were. My best friend was the pitcher. Seventh inning. 
two outs, three strikes, or two, two strikes, two outs, two strikes, three balls. I've got one more chance to win this game. I have a guy on first and second. I'm up by, I'm down by one. Two wins the game. He pitches, my best friend pitches the ball. I close my eyes and I crank that ball. Nearly foul, but it wasn't. It went over the first baseman's head, hit fair, spun out of bounds, but it was a fair ball. And the ball went flying out of bounds because I put such spin on it. You did that on purpose? I got a double, (laughs) two scores, win. Everybody is watching it because the All-Star announcements are going to be right after this game. Boom. Reggie Jackson was my name. Reggie, they called me. Reg. Okay, so from our side, what do you guys say? Malarkey or truth? Malarkey! I say malarkey. What do you say, Sky? Malarkey. <laughs> Boy, they... We all They're think rude. you're lying. They don't believe totally you. Totally true story. What? Totally no true. No way. Totally true. No. Totally, totally true. I know the story's true about the hit, because you've told, you've told us I that before. It. And they called me Reggie. Boom. Was it that easy to win? Man. <laughs> no. Hey, wait, well, oh, no, 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 your no. Turn. turn. <laughs> your turn. So... Kim Giles is now going to tell us her lie. This is going to be a lie I can already tell. Okay, so... she's twitching. I'm a professional speaker. Actually, organizations invite me to come and speak. They pay you money. They pay me money to come and speak. But I'm slightly accident prone. Oh, boy. So I was asked to speak to the Association of Government Accountants. Oh, those are hard. And, okay, I get there. They've just had a break where they passed out eclairs. (laughs) And, I mean, these people have been in a conference all day, and they yeah. just stayed in a Claire. So they're practically comatose yeah, yeah. at this point when I go on stage. And they're accountants. Yeah. Government accountants. And I'm teaching them about people skills. Yeah, this is hard. Which, <laughs> okay, it was a train wreck already. I, you know, when you speak of these things, they have the projector, and they have all the AV yeah. wires, and inevitably there's wires going across the stage. And I always have water. Well, yeah, so you don't dehydrate. When you're speaking for an hour and a half, you got to have some water. While holding the water, tripped on the wires, spilled the water all the way down the front of me and landed on my face on the stage in front of the entire group. Oh, my word. Now, the funny thing is I had just done my intro that is about embarrassing moments that happen to people. Yeah. <laughs> and like then did you have to have I an addendum? Around, I gave the rest of the speech soaking wet. Okay, so what do you guys think? I say truth. I think it's true. Okay, let me just tell you what I think it's a partial truth. I think almost all of it's true, not all of it though. Maybe they were like not accountants. She tur- she turfed it, water truth. went everywhere. She didn't spill water all over herself. That's my idea. Let us know. Okay. No, you're not right. Darn it. <laughs> what? It was a partial truth, though. Oh, I could tell. But I did spill the water all you down did? myself That's and gave happened. the whole speech soaking wet. Oh, but I, I could tell partial. Fall completely. So, I, but they believed you. So you're a good so liar. I won. Well, we were both liars. No, she, she won. No, I won. Well, hold on, I lied and you called it malarkey. No, you mean no, you I told, told the, the truth, truth and you called it malarkey. Oh, if it's a so draw, maybe we both. Yeah, won. you're. If it's a tie, then Kim wins. Oh, I agree with that. <laughs> Kim totally wins. <laughs> all right, Kim, you're the best liar on the show. <laughs> I don't know Thanks. if that's a good win, Kim. I don't know if that's a good win. That's going to ruin your career. Actually, the best liar on the show, of course, Skyboy. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us, folks. Storytelling, it's a big deal. Tomorrow, we've got a great show on listening. We're even going to have a guest host 
that's going to enlighten you and educate you. And Skyboy, of course, will be here sporting his tights and his cape. This is the Matt Townsend Show, folks. Thanks for joining us. Again, remember, we're trying to make your life a little easier, hopefully help you see the good in the world. Join us tomorrow right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.